0: for the next part of our conversation with Dr. Brandy Lyles we will talk about talking to teens about sex so we spent uh, 20 minutes in our last episode discussing talking about relationships, building healthy relationships and modeling them, having conversations about relationships and sex early and frequently as your kid's growing up. Um, But now let's talk about having these talks specifically about sex with your teen. So how do you recommend parents approach this? So I want to highlight something that you just said, Lena. You said talks.
2: And I think it's really important to know that this is not just one talk. This is, we mentioned in the last um, podcast, that this is not a one and done talk. You want to have these conversations early and often. And the conversation topics including healthy relationships and consent and sexuality and and really helping build kids critical thinking about some of these things so that they can use that critical thinking to help navigate some of their relationships as as they get older and the fact is is that children and youth are just like us as adults we're curious about things we're curious about our bodies we're curious about sexuality um and they're gonna get this information somehow mm-hmm So to prepare for this podcast, I was listening to some other um, experts in this area, and um, one professional mentioned, which I think is so important, that sometimes this talk depends on the birth order of your child. So if you just have a six-year-old, that six-year-old is just a six-year-old. But if this is the fourth child and they have 16-year-old siblings, um, they are now going to be exposed maybe earlier than just that sole six-year-old. And so, um, again, kids are curious about this, if they're going to pick up on things. And so having these conversations really early is is very important.
0: One question I have for you um, is about parents that, you know, I grew up in a very open family where we did discuss things like this. But you think about some parents that maybe grew up in a family that never talked about this, um, that it was kind of taboo and they did have to learn on their own. They they didn't have those role models to teach them how to talk openly about sexuality and relationships. So How can parents really go and learn how to have these conversations? I mean, we're hoping to give them some tips here, but... um are there books or, or podcasts or websites? Lots of great books, lots of great resources, and I'm happy
2: to provide some links of, of some of my favorites. I think some of it also has to um, do with sort of thinking about and processing their own experiences with their parents and what was beneficial about that approach and what was harmful about that pro- approach or what they what they wish their parent could have talked to them about. Um, and, and then, be able to provide that for their child, even if it wasn't provided um, to them. And then the other thing is just to embrace the awkward. This is going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. This is not easy. You know, it's much easier for me to talk with clients about some of these things than my own nephews and my own family members, you know, where then it's like you have all of this emotional tie to the information that you're giving. And so, you know, parents just sometimes need to breathe you got this, you can do this. You know, these, are, these are really important lessons um, to give to your child. And as a parent, you've done many, many hard things throughout this journey. And this is one of the hard things that, that are going to be really meaningful as, as your child grows up.
1: So different cultures have different attitudes towards relationships and sex. So how is this discussion different in different cultures?
2: Yeah, so that is also a very important question. And really, honestly, there needs to be lots more research in this area, especially when we think about formal sex educations, like maybe through school or other programs, where we think about what does it mean to be culturally responsive to give this information, but that's not really well defined or um, thought about in in this really nuanced way. And so I think that Lots more research needs to happen related to that. I think for parents, just having those open conversations about cultural, religious, spiritual beliefs related to sex and relationships... And why they hold those certain beliefs. So what is the rationale be- behind some of those things? And what do they feel is appropriate or inappropriate sexual behavior and why? And talking with your child about this can help, again, build that foundation that they're going to come to their parent when these situations come up for them.
0: Yeah, So we started talking a little bit about sex education in school. And so I think that this is important. Of course, one of the things that's historically underfunded, but very important. Um, Can you tell us what you know about promoting abstinence only education and um, why it may or may not work and what the ideal model for sex education in schools is?
2: Yes. So abstinence model, it's pretty clear that it's ineffective. And if you think about this in other ways, I mean, even to just think about our the pandemic that we're dealing with, it we as humans don't really manage, don't do it very well. Our own autonomy and opposition starts to rise and then we make decisions based on that. And so with my my struggles with abstinence only is it's really telling kids not what not to do versus what they can do or when to know their own readiness of what to do. And so telling kids what to do and how to do it is going to be a really important thing about how do you navigate these decisions um, versus just don't have sex and then you won't have any problems. If kids are left with no information, we know that this has dire consequences, this unwanted pregnancies, STDs, abusive relationships. And so you know, there's also no research to show that abstinence-only programs delay sexual intercourse or delay risky
0: sexual behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember just a teen boy in my office a long time ago that we were talking about sex and he was like, "Oh, well my girlfriend can't get pregnant because she has some sort of kidney issue." And I'm like, "Um, there's no <laughs> kidney issue that I'm aware of that would prevent you from getting pregnant." And he was like, "Really?" <laughs> So I was like yes so vital so, information <laughs> so for this kid to for have for this or a kid I was like yeah so you should still be using protection because I don't think that 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 would prevent her from getting pregnant. and He was like, his like eyes got wide and he, like the light bulb went on and I was like, a condom every time, buddy. He's like, yes, okay.
2: <laughs> and there's all kinds of myths out there like that, that kids pick up from different, you know, um, sources and then sort of use to make decisions based on. And so that's why in comprehensive sex education, you know, really talking about these topics of, you know, sex versus intimacy, sexual decisions, sexual initiation, When you are ready to have sex, how are you going to talk about it with your partner? Um, Obviously, the safe sex and contraceptions and those type of things, but also some more of the relational things. What do you want in a sexual partner? What does, you know, what sexually pleases you? What is your sexual orientation and gender identity? Um, And then going into the conversations related to power dynamics and, you know, sexual assault and sexual abuse and sexual exploitation and how to sort of recognize some of the red flags of that. And then our own reproductive and sexual health. So how do we be healthy sexual individuals regardless of what our choices are um, at the moment?
1: What about the differences between boys and girls? I mean, is the approach the same for males versus females? Or are different approaches more appropriate?
2: My opinion is that sex education is really mostly the same for all genders. But there may be some emphasis on certain societal assumptions or norms or myths that come up that are more gender-based. So, for instance, with males, really teaching them that, you know, their sexual partners aren't a conquest. It's not something that, you know, you gain status if your sexual partner number goes up. For females, helping them understand that sometimes society gives us messages that this is our is our identity. What can we sexually provide to other people? And so talking about that and talking about, you know, the disconnect there. And then for transgender youth, there's also important topics to bring up, too, about discrimination and how to deal with potential bullying related to their gender identity, but also about disclosure. When are they going to feel comfortable disclosing to a partner um, about their gender identity and that they get to sort of hold the decisions related to that, but you want them to have conversations with the safe adults in their life to be able to do that in a healthy way.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm happy you brought up that for the most cases, like that it shouldn't be gender-based because of course, Men need to learn about women's anatomy and and sexual health and well-being, and women need to learn about men's, too. I mean, it can't be in a silo because then they're going to be like that, my teen, that thought that his girlfriend couldn't get pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and most of these kids and
2: youth are going to grow up to be parents themselves of, you know, diverse gender. And so knowing about some of the, you know, basics, but also some of the relational things that come and some of the societal assumptions that come with gender identity um, is is important thing for all genders to know about.
0: And so as teens grow up, occasionally there's a tragic situation um, where they may be the victim of sexual assault. So this may be in high school, this may be later in college. Um, We know that in 2019, the Association of American Universities did a survey on sexual assault and misconduct, and they polled a lot of students at many universities, and really 13% said they had experienced non-consensual sexual conduct. And so unfortunately, this is this is really common and so I'm wondering if you can help help us think through that how to how to help these kids how to talk to them about about this before they go to college or other things. Yeah. And for,
2: unfortunately, this happens much more than people think. And even if you rewind before college, so if you think about before a child is 18 years old, the statistics are pretty clear that one in four females will experience some type of sexual abuse or sexual assault, and one to six or seven males will experience this. And so, you know, oftentimes this is perpetrated by someone in the family or a close person. And this is why in the first podcast, we talked a lot about consent and teaching kids about their bodies and keeping their bodies as safe as they can or to be able to talk about things and not keep things secret and then as you mentioned as you know they get into adolescence and young adulthood, you know, sexual assault is again more prevalent than we think. And we also know that our LGBTQIA plus youth are at higher risk for sexual violence because of their sexual orientation and or gender identity when compared to their cisgender or heterosexual peers. And so this is such an important topic to think about. Um, And, you know, there is finally some movement in our society about uh, related to how we treat victims. um, But we still have a lot of work to go about, you know, this experience is happens to a lot of people. And so being able to sort of talk openly about that as a society, but then also in the family unit, I think is very important.
1: With your work, with the fallout, the trauma, the consequences that comes after sexual abuse, how can we counsel young people about these events to really empower them to speak up should it ever happen to them? And also, how can parents and family members and friends really best support their loved one after you know such a traumatic event like this?
2: I think the simple answer is to believe them and help them get the support that they need. Um, And I think parents and um, safe adults can be a huge factor in youth learning about, you know, these experiences and healing from these experiences. There's actually research out there to show that um, a supportive parent response is one of the number one predictors of um, kids healing from trauma experiences. So huge role of the parent here. Um, and, and part of it is about not hiding the sexual abuse or sexual assault, um, really working through f- potential feelings of shame and not keeping this a secret. Um, but this also might mean that parents have to work through some of their own experiences, especially if they experienced a, se- a sexual abuse or sexual assault, that they may have to do some of their own work in order to really help support, help, su- help support their kids.
0: This is such an important topic, and I'm really happy we covered it today. Um, you know, I had it in the wrap-up, but I think that it's important to know that if you yourself have experienced sexual assault or you want to reach out, there's a national sexual assault hotline. The number is 1-800-800. There's lots of other resources, but please reach out. And of course, your physician is always a great person to go to. If you see a therapist or a psychologist, that's another great person to go to to talk about that information. Um, Dr. Lyles, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us for these really important discussions that we always could use a little expert help with. Um, Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with today? I think just
2: related to sexual abuse and sexual assault, if it has happened to you, you know, you're not alone. Um, your reactions are likely a very normal response to what you've experienced and that there is hope and healing. We have lots of really effective, well-researched trauma treatments like trauma-focused CBT for um, kids or cognitive behavioral therapy to help, manage, um, help survivors manage and decrease trauma-related symptoms and also to help parents support their child in this. Um, And then also just thank you for providing the platform for these really important questions to be asked, and I'm happy to talk more or come back and answer direct parent questions or however um, you see that I could be useful because I think this is a really, really important topic to
0: cover. Perfect. Thank you so much. So let's summarize some of our discussion today.
1: Yeah, so healthy relationships and healthy sexuality is built by having open, direct conversations and modeling these behaviors for your child.
0: Right, and it's important to start having these conversations early. Even a toddler can understand the concept of consent, and by 9 or 10, you can start discussing the concept of romantic relationships and even sex.
1: And as we always say, being open and supportive of your child during this time is critical, especially if they come to you with questions about gender identity or sexuality.
0: Right. It's important to have these open conversations as well about digital safety and the dangers of online media, but also know that you may have to do your own research and and get on there and learn a little bit more um, about these online relationships.
1: And in, in the unfortunate event that your child or someone you know is a victim of sexual assault, it's important to empower them and support them during this difficult time. If you yourself have experienced sexual assault, know that you're not alone and you can get help. And as Dr. Lena mentioned, the National Sexual Assault Hotline is 1-800-656-4673.
0: This number and all of the resources that Dr. Lyles mentioned in these two episodes are also linked on our website for your reference.
1: That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered.
0: You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu.
1: Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered.
0: And Instagram at Kids Considered.
1: If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you.
0: Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388.
1: Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com.
0: Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts.
1: Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast.
0: Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.